How's California treating you? Uh, it's good. It's real good. You know, um, not in the least because of where I'm staying. I've got a lovely view of Oakland and some mountains in the background. But no, it's been great. I have. I'm pretty sure I've ridden every single form of transportation that San Francisco has to offer thus far. Really? So I'm already doing great. Yeah, I've already been so, on the ferry. I've already been. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was gonna say, run me down the list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So been on Bard. Been on uh, Muni Metro. Been on Muni buses. I've been on Muni trolley buses. I've been on AC Transit, which is the buses on the Oakland side of the bay. Um, I've been on the cable car. I've taken the ferry across from. I, that, actually, that's a search term. We can jump right in. That is, is a search, search term. term. Um, yeah, you you search for the Oakland ferry. Yeah, Tell me about I was, it. It's about half an hour, and uh, it takes you from Oakland to Alameda. Uh, Alameda. Uh, from <laughs> from Oakland to Alameda to the port of San Francisco in okay. about half an hour. Um, I Googled that because I was trying to find the schedule. I wasn't sure if I was about to miss it or not. Sure. And after I got off the bus, and it's like uh, went like five-minute walk from where the bus drops you off to where the um, – from where the bus I was on drops you off to where the ferry actually leaves from. And I saw it there, and I wasn't sure if it was, like, the next one that wasn't going to leave for an hour or not. But no, I made it. I just made it. I was, like, the last one on, and then they uh, set off. Um, cool. So I don't know yeah, if you realized it, but you just said one of my activation phrases. What's that? Five-minute walk? Five-minute. Uh, oh, it actually was a five. I actually, like, I timed it. It was five minutes. That wasn't an estimate. So the, I'm guilty. Uh, See, I'm guilty of this. I know this. I'm guilty of whenever I say something is a five-minute walk or a short walk away. That could mean anything from a few meters to like, you know, a half hour. Okay. So for me, mm-hmm. the phrase "a five-minute walk" is um, well, it's 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 a it's a very Christian phrase for me. Oh, Christian. So there there was a record label back in the day called Five Minute Walk Records. Why does it always come back to Christian rock? <laughs> it always comes back. I figured to this was. I, I thought this was going to be theological, but no, we're back on Christian rock. We're back on Christian rock, and Five Minute Walk Records was named such based on the philosophy that every day you should spend five minutes at least in your walk with Christ. Uh. Uh. This is Idle Curiosities, a search-driven podcast by Noelle Midnight and Liz Mulholland. Each week, we look at what we've been searching the internet for, and then, armed with knowledge, boldly travel this nation, confident that nothing will ever bring us down. Music by Yuri Beats. Yeah. And what, so about like, a, what about a 30-minute walk to Chipotle? I did one of those today. <laughs> it's, it's probably the preferred kind of walk at this point. Yeah. But no, like uh, so there's five, your there's your title there's your your intro drop. Five minute walk was like th- one of the cool Christian rock labels. Like they had the <laughs> they had like some of the ska bands like uh, Five Iron Frenzy and the W's. Oh, they also had okay. the Echoing Green, Brave Saint Saturn, Dime Store Prophets, Seven Day Jesus, Rose Blossom Punch, Fillmore, like. Holy shit, this was a good label. And I, just, I recognized one of those bands, and it was Five Iron Frenzy. Yeah, well. <laughs> um, but no, like... August. That that's one, of my, that's one of my activation phrases, is Five Minute Walk, because it's just like, oh yeah, no, like that was a really important record label for me back in 2004. Oh, see, I figured you'd have been traumatized by someone who was really bad at estimating times and distances, like myself. Oh, no, no, uh, everything is two blocks for me. 
Oh yeah, so, yeah, yeah. It's just a couple blocks. Uh, how many blocks is that actually? Fuck if I know. I don't know. So hey, um, <laughs> I gotta ask you, Liz. Uh huh. How do you how do you feel like this episode is going so far? Uh, slightly low energy, but not terrible. Yeah. Um, I kind of want to talk about that. Yeah. So, the the reason that the episode hasn't been terrible so far is that uh-huh. I've actually done this all before motherfucker <laughs> i i i hired an impersonator to to play you and i've had this exact conversation please in the past. tell me it was zoe de chanel I've always, <laughs> listen, this, is, this is my one request if if ever i do something so stupid enough that it's notable enough to be made into a movie i want to be played by zoe de chanel fair but that's all, that's all really, I what I want to do at this point is I want to talk about the rehearsal. Please let it. Yeah, let's let's talk about the rehearsal. I want to. We both have it in our history here. Yeah, you you searched um, for the rehearsal. Um, yep. What did, what did I search for? I searched for what day does the rehearsal air? Yep, that's right. Which what day does it air? By the way, Saturday or Friday nights. Okay, Friday night. Friday night. Leading up on Friday nights, virtually. Are Saturday. There anyway, how many episodes are they planning to do? There's only one more. Oh, there's, oh shit! So okay, so I haven't. I've only. I didn't watch four yet, or five, or um, okay, six is not yet. No, I, I've only watched the ones that we watched together after recording last okay. week. Okay, so yeah, yeah, they're they're ending at six. Oh, that's oh god. <laughs> <laughs> and so, real, real so real quick, uh, Liz, do you want to do you want to run the listening audience through what the rehearsal is and why they should care about it? Yeah, sure. So, um, the rehearsal is a a new television show on HBO Max by Nathan Fielder. I guess. I guess we we first need to decide what genre it is. That's a great. That's that's difficult. That's that's difficult. Uh, you know, reality television technically, but it no it. Uh, is, is it fair to just call the genre of the show autism? <laughs> That's, um, I, I wouldn't, ha- I would not argue against it in the slightest. Um, hyper-realism? Hyper-reality? Hyper-reality television? I don't know. I suppose it's just, um, um better to just try and describe what it is. Nathan Fielder... Famously, famously, Nathan Fielder did a TV show called Nathan for You, which was kind of a combination prank show and philosophical morality play. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which honestly isn't entire like prank show feels wrong, but we're not. It's it's this is in a similar vein to that. This is very much in a similar vein. The basic premise is that. Um, Nathan Fielder uh, spent an HBO-level budget producing um, sets and hiring extras to help people rehearse, thus the name of the show, situations in their life that they're concerned about, that they're worried about, and tries to anticipate all of the ways in which something could go wrong or right in that particular situation. And when I say recreates these scenarios using set builders and extras. I mean, in the first episode, and mild spoilers, I suppose, um, Nathan Fielder, well, the the set builders of the show, for Nathan, constructed 
an exact replica of a bar in Brooklyn that the um, the subject of the first episode goes to trivia night in in order to be able to rehearse with the subject of the, of the episode. The situation which he finds himself presenting it with, I'm trying not to spoil anything here. I don't know if I should care. Should we care about spoilers? I feel like enough people who listen to this show have probably seen it, but I can't tell either way. I wouldn't want to give. Wanna a, I wouldn't want to give away anything like major from episode one. Yeah, the the idea is that Nathan creates these elaborate sets and he hires actors to play versions of real life people, so that he can take an individual and walk them through a scenario that is causing them stress, so that they can rehearse that scenario before they have to live it in real life. And the reason I'm a little bit wary about spoiling anybody who might not have seen it yet is because I was pretty unspoiled about it going into it. I went in fairly blind, but the reason that I was able to do that is because I saw jokes about the show on Twitter. I saw, I saw the, some memes. I saw some tweets. I see, I saw some uh, references and I thought they were exaggerated. I thought that they were sort of, you know, typically when you see something blow up on Twitter and they're making memes about it, um, what's the word? It's it's bigger. It's more it's um, ridiculous. It's heightened, yeah. And the thing that struck me about the show, there's two things that struck me about the show. The first thing is that it's not actually heightened from the memes. Like, I'd seen, I'd seen some tweets that I thought were just complete fabrications and exaggerations, but they're actually what happened. They're actually things that happened in the show, which blew me the fuck away because I thought they were fucking ludicrous. And who would do that on an HBO show? Turns out Nathan Fielder would. The second thing, far more prosaically, is that the um, uh, the bar that I mentioned from the first episode, I've been to that bar a couple times, which threw me for a fucking loop. Right. That was fucking wild to A, to see the bar in the show, and B, to see them construct an exact replica down to the crooked paintings hanging on the wall of that bar in a warehouse. Yeah, I, it, I think I think the important thing about the show... It was fucking wild. The important thing about the show is the idea that, like, Nathan takes the premise of rehearsing and cranks it up to 11 with full sincerity. Yeah, yeah. He, that, and that's the thing. There's no, there's no, there's basically no pretense to it. Nathan is almost just an observer, even though he's orchestrating the entire thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just there. He's just, he is a passive observer to the situation that he has created. Yeah. Which I can identify with a little bit too much, possibly. Like, when, when you said, this is autism, the show, I, yeah, it is. It, there's a lot in there to relate to if you um, have a brain that works in a similar way. First of all, if you do, I'm sorry, I empathize. But, uh, yeah, it's wild. I loved it. It freaked me out. I loved it. Yeah. Like, I you, think you saw me. Like, I could not, I could not go immediately into the second episode after we watched the first, we had to go get some burgers and just let me process that first. Yeah. Cause it's one of those things where it doesn't feel like anything I've ever seen on television before. No, that's the thing. I know. I never, it's truly unique and it is, it's really good at playing that game where every five minutes it gets slightly heightened. Every yeah, five yeah. minutes, something is revealed that makes you go, I didn't know that you could do that. 
I didn't know that you could go here from where you were. I didn't realize I that. Didn't, I didn't think you could get that on the television. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess streaming. It's still, you know, you know, I mean, I assume, even though it might be a little bit looser, but I assume HBO still has a standards and practices department that said whether or not you can do so-and-so thing, you know? <laughs> is this only on streaming? Is this, um, or is this actually airing on HBO, the channel? I think it's actually airing. Oh, God, okay, yeah. Not, not like, again, HBO, you can get away with a lot on HBO, but, but still, you know, it's, it's, it's such a good show. I can recommend it enough. You might yeah, need and... to take a, a few um, hours or days between episodes, and that's fine. Just, just it, it's really good. It's one of the most different things I've seen. One of the important mm-hmm. things is that he does the same thing with this show that he did with Nathan for you. Where it feels at the beginning like he's just doing individual things. But then a through line starts to evolve and a through line starts to come out where you're realizing he's making a larger commentary. Mm -hmm. But he's making a commentary in... He's making commentary by not commenting. Yeah. He's making commentary by putting himself into situations and then just allowing the situations to unfold around him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's really fascinating to me. Like at the yeah, end, he's, he's the narrator of the show, Yeah, but he doesn't really say that much. Well, at, at the all. end of episode five, there is a moment and I'm not going to give it away, but like there's a moment at the end mm-hmm. of episode five where I'm like, I was just kind of stunned that this was where they had gotten to. Mm. I, I was stunned that through the entire thing, he seems to be having this like this like conversation with morality. Yeah, I got a lot of the it really started showing up for me in um, like the tail end of episode three. Yeah. And that that which definitely was two, two and three were our two part episode. And like it starts out a lot like it doesn't start out that way. But as it goes on you do see Nathan become a little bit more involved in the particular scenario. And it really, it's, there's, there's just a lot going on. And even though he's barely, you know, even though he's not doing any, he doesn't do any direct commentary. I don't know if he starts doing that at any point, but he really doesn't do any direct commentary about what he's trying to say. But it becomes so apparent well, yeah, because he's 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 allowing himself to speak through what he is choosing to put on screen. Yeah. And that yeah. speaks loudly enough that he doesn't need to explicitly give the commentary. And it's really Which fun to nice watch. Which is a nice change. It, it, it's, it's fun to watch, and it's also a nice change from so much of the storytelling you see on any sort of factual, for lack of a better word, factual programming, non, non-scripted or, um, you know, I don't know what to call it, like... Something that isn't explicitly a drama or a comedy. I think I think there's a lot of it, too, where it's just like he opens himself up to situations by doing that improv skill of saying yes and. But yeah. he mm, says mm-hmm. yes through, like, tacit approval, not through explicitly saying yes. And just like, <laughs> yeah, instead, of, instead of saying yes and he says, oh, OK. Right. And then he just allows whoever he's talking to. To reveal what they think about a topic or to say something that is completely insane. Yeah. Which, which happens. (laughs) Yeah. 
But he, he creates environments where those things can happen, and then he doesn't need to comment on them. He just allows the thing that has been said to stand on its own. Mm -hmm. It's really, it's incredibly well done. It yeah. is, um, it's fantastic. I, I can't recommend it enough. Yeah, I think I'm, I, I gotta, I gotta catch up. I've got the, um, I've got two episodes now to watch and the next one will come out Saturday. I don't know if I'm going to get, I don't know if I'm going to get to those before, um, the last one comes out. So yeah. hopefully well, I don't get too spoiled by Twitter. I, I gotta say if. If you can, like, muster up the energy to catch up, I think you'll really relish it. Oh, I'm looking forward to it. I just, you know, it, I'm I'm not on vacation, but I am kind of on vacation this week, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. <laughs> uh, tell, like, me about, you know, uh, I've... tell me about Klamath Falls, Klamath Falls, Oregon. Klamath Falls, Oregon is... Um, Klamath? I, I don't actually know. Hmm. I don't know how it's pronounced. I'm trying to remember how the conductor pronounced it. Um... Because last week I was in Seattle, and yes. this week I am in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. And I got here by train on Saturday morning. I took the Coast Starlight, leaving out a King Street station in Seattle, whereupon I was informed that um, uh, they, they, they didn't have any... Um, uh, the, the refrigeration in the cafe car was broken, so we didn't have any um, of the hot food items that would normally be available. Sure. Which was an interesting thing to consider. Uh, which is why I went to the Iwajimaya uh, grocery store, which is two blocks over from the station, and stocked up on some food and snacks and stuff. Because I went, I didn't yeah, know how long. How long was the, this trip? This is scheduled to be a twenty-three hour train ride. So ha I, having you know, hot food it, is kind of important. Having hot food is nice. Um, yeah, it's really nice to have if you're on, on a train for that long. So I, um, you know, I grabbed an insulated bag with some prepared whatever, and some snacks and stuff. Because cause the notification I got from Amtrak just said that food service wouldn't be available. Right. They didn't mention what kind of food service. They just said, the thing just said, there is no food service on this train. I'm sitting here like it's a 23-hour train ride. What does that mean? How, does that, how is that going to work? So I got on the train and they um, explained that, you know, they, they have drinks. They have non-perishable snacks. They had beer. They had, like, one working refrigeration cabinet and... um they decided to dedicate it to, beer, to uh, beer and wine, which is the correct choice. That's what I would have done as well if I had to prioritize my sure. uh, cooling capacity. And they had, like, a in the cafe car, they literally had, a like, an igloo portable cooler full of ice that they were replenishing at certain stations. So it turns out that they're Amtrak's plan, and I don't know if this is, I don't know if this is Amtrak policy or if it's something that this particular crew cooked up, pun not intended, along the way. Because we stopped in, um, the, the plan was to load food on in Oakland for us, and we didn't know what that meant. Unfortunately, Union Pacific derailed a freight train at one of the entrances into, Un at, into Portland Union Station. Sure. Which, which, meant, <laughs> which meant we stopped at one of our station stops in Vancouver, Washington, which is right at the very border, right at the very south, right at the border between Oregon and Washington. And I'm pretty sure they drove the food that they were going to load on in Portland, um up to Vancouver and gave it to a, gave it to the train there. Uh, Cause we were there for about um, an hour and a half waiting for them to fix the clusterfuck enough that they could pull the train in uh, to Portland. And it turns out that when they say they were going to put food on the train for us in Oakland, I mean, in, um, in Portland, what they meant was Popeye's. They delivered. Yeah. They delivered some ungodly number of like, it was all um, three piece tenders meals. 
they delivered some ungodly number of those to the train in Portland and handed them out to all the coach class and business class passengers. Which could be worse, honestly. It was a pretty good lunch. It was yeah. pretty tasty. Yeah. I was not complaining in the slightest, you know? And this is the, this is the thing, right? Like, Amtrak is criminally underfunded, and they run trains at the pleasure of the freight railways that own the tracks for most of the country. This is only... This only isn't true pretty much in the Northeast. Like, you know, any of the other routes, any of the long-distance routes, they operate on freight tracks who have to make space for Amtrak in their schedule. And if the freight, look, if the freight railways screw up something, like if Union Pacific derails a train at the approach to Portland Station, they just have to deal with it, suck it up and deal with it. Right. And, and the train crews do the best they can when faced with a bad situation. And this is, like, the interesting thing about it is, with, like, maybe a couple of exceptions, everyone was just like, yeah, this is the kind of shit that happens when you take a train. Morale remained really high through the entire trip, even though we ended up being six hours late into Oakland. And even, you know, this this train goes all the way to L.A. And it and it, I don't even know how late it was by the time it got down there, probably even later. But, you know, if this sort of thing happened on an, on an airplane, if this sort of thing happened say, at a major um, airline hub, and you had right. a you, whole bunch of people gotten, waiting for their flight to leave. If you'd gotten stuck in, like, I don't know, Goose Bay. <laughs> I said major airline hub. Oh, yeah, sorry. Too, if I... <laughs> yeah, if you get stuck somewhere on a plane, and you, you're told that, oh, we're going to be six hours late, there would be pandemonium. They would instantly clog a switchboard with everybody calling the airline, demanding that they do something. Mm-hmm. Whereas everyone on, everyone on the train was just like, yeah, okay, whatever, I'm fine, we've got beer, we've got Popeyes, I'm fine, this is great. Which is, one of the things I like about traveling by train is that, partly because they suck so much in America, I feel like everybody's ex- expectations are a lot lower. Well, um, I, I think so that people still mentally class it in the same way that they class public transit. Where mm. they expect there to be certain things that will just go wrong. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's that mindset, or you have the mindset that a lot of people have, which I don't entirely agree with, where they think of it as sort of like a cruise ship on the land, where of course it's going to take forever because it's not a fast method of transportation. So, like, what's what's six hours if you're uh, if you're late by six hours on a cruise ship? That's not really a big deal. If you're late by six hours on a train, not really a big deal. Sure. Um, but no, so so I was Googling um, Klamath Falls, Oregon, because um, after we lost about three hours in the uh, situation at Portland, because once we got to the station, they had to do a very unusual maneuver to get us out of the station and around Portland on a different track that wasn't affected by the derailment um, in order to get us further on our way. Except that all the time that we lost doing that meant that, um, like an airplane, much like an airplane... In the interest of safety, train crews have a maximum amount of time they're allowed to work in a given day. I believe it's 12 hours. Sure, and yeah. we hit we hit those 12 hours before we actually got to the station where the next crew was. Um, so they had to it was around, deadhead in a crew. Yeah, yeah. So we were like probably about an hour and a half north of Klamath Falls, Oregon. And we just stopped. It was around 3 a.m. I, I, the, the train stopping woke me up because I was sleeping pretty well otherwise. And they, uh, you know, our our crew had run out of time. Our crew had timed out, and they had to drive them up in a truck from rural Oregon to even more rural Oregon 
And I was just Googling because I didn't know where the fuck we were. And I didn't recognize any of the town names or anything. And I was trying to work out where A, where we were, B, how long it would take the crew to get there, and C, how late this was going to make us further. And the answer, like I said, was about six hours. Um, Having said all that, it was a great trip, and I would absolutely do it again. It was... I cannot think of a better way to get from one part of the coast to another part of the coast. It was really nice. But it also took you over 24 hours. It did also take, what, 30 hours, roughly? It's not supposed to take 30 hours. However, um, the Coast Starlight's nickname is the Coast Starlate. Um, And now I know why. And now I know why. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. people really are just um, braced for it. Yeah, it it has a reputation. (laughs) The lateness is usually because of things that happen in California, because it runs all the way from Seattle to Los Angeles, and there's usually something going on in California that calls it the lateness. From what I've heard, it's not usually the stuff through Washington, Oregon. So this was a fun exception to that rule. Um, yeah. And I can only imagine, because I can only imagine anyone who had a, because some people actually had connecting trains, which is a hilarious concept to me that Amtrak even bothers to do the concept of a connecting train because of how frequently they're late. Right. Yeah. So they ended up putting a lot of people on buses in Sacramento to get them to where their train would be um, because they had already missed them by the time we got to Sacramento. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure I talked about it on the show, but my experience with Amtrak was also an experience that was tainted by something went wrong. Mm Mm-hmm. You did, yeah. And yet you continue to take Amtrak. I mean, I don't have a car. And how else am I going to get down to Portland? That's true. So I've I've got another surgery coming up at the beginning of next month. And so I am taking mm-hmm. Amtrak again. And you'll probably probably encounter another issue again. Oh, I'm sure. I'm I'm looking forward to just sitting there and listening to my entire backlog of you're wrong about. Understandable. Uh, which I'm you sure you might even through. find yourself in the Valley of Elah. Yeah, Valley of Elah. That's a search term. Uh, Liz, do you that know what this is? Segue. I haven't a clue. Neither do I, which surprised me. Because this was a crossword solution. Oh, okay. Well, this, was it the Times crossword or some, some other crossword? The Times. Earlier this week, mm-hmm. I think it was the Tuesday puzzle, they, mm-hmm. had, they had a clue that was essentially the valley, or no, it was essentially uh, the site of the battle depicted in this puzzle. And Oh, was it one of those weird um, theme puzzles? It was, and... Yeah. Eventually, I figured out I what, like the, the what, the, what the battle was, and it was the story of David and Goliath. Oh. And I sat there, disappointed in my Christian upbringing, <laughs> because I could not tell you. <laughs> I could not tell you where this battle took place. I could not tell you where the Israelites were when they fought Goliath. I couldn't either, actually. Which seemed odd. Like, that feels like something I should have known. Uh, so I ended up, yeah, yeah. I ended up uh, googling this one just because I I needed mm-hmm. to know. Yeah, the yeah. the Valley of Elah. Um, huh. Just, See, I was going to guess that this was from a video game or something. No, it's it's just a valley in Israel. Huh. All yeah. right. Yeah. So I learned something. I did not finish that puzzle. I was going to ask, did you did you eventually fill that in from the uh, cross clues or? Uh... I did not know because like mm. E L A H doesn't make any. sense. Yeah, that's sense. a weird one. Even even by Times crossword standards, that is a weird one. 
Yeah, this one this one feels like a very nadicable clue. Yeah. Ugh. I this is among the many, 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 many reasons to hate the New York Times. Um like I was I I was doing the Times crossword for a while there, but they were just on such a string of stupid nadics and um really bad in on like obviously the point is to be a challenge. I'm not disputing that. But there's a difference between a challenging clue and an obtuse clue. Right. And the Times crossword really has been tending towards obtuse clues for a while. And I just stopped doing it. About, the way that I uh, view it, the way that I ago. view it is that it should yeah. be a puzzle, not a trivia game. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's the thing. That's the thing. Also, you can only see Brian Eno's last name used as filler so many goddamn times before you just want to strangle Will Shorts. Yeah. It's, it's, obnoxious feller yeah there's other there are other multi-vowel short words you could be using there and they just fucking love eno which i get it but i love eno too but not like that yeah just like i i'm sick of them using eddie's like the ice cream brand oh god i hate that one like, first of all there's one of them first of all doesn't that one even doesn't that if that one even not work on the west coast because it isn't isn't it called a different thing out here uh i don't think so but i don't know but like this one, the the clue was maker of brownie brick road ice cream. Uh, it's just like, at what point is this just SpawnCon? <laughs> I was just say, are they in, are they in the pocket of big? Um, does does Nestle own Eighties or is it is it one of those other conglomerates? I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised. I wouldn't be surprised. It's annoying. Yeah, uh, it's, I'm not a fan. Yeah. But also, I need to find like I need to find another source for crosswords though, because like I miss doing the crossword every day. I just couldn't deal with the times anymore. Well, that's the thing. Where else are you gonna go? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like the LA Times is a crossword. I don't know if they've got like a thing though. The New Yorker has a weekly crossword. Yeah, I know. I used to do it when I got the New Yorker. I think the Wall Street Journal also has a weekly. I can only imagine how insufferable that one is. The New Yorker crossword was good. I just haven't done it in a while because I don't think they I don't think they put it online, do they? I don't remember. I don't know. I've only ever done it in the magazine. <laughs> but if I had somewhere else where I could get a high-quality crossword that published daily, I would totally do that instead. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I would pay money for it, like I would do to the Times. Because yep. I used to... Well, I used to subscribe to the whole time, the entire New York Times. But I eventually cut that down to just the cooking section. Like, they have a cooking subscription online, and they have a game subscription. I was doing just the cooking and the game sections to send a message about how much I disliked everything else about their uh, setup, about their yeah. uh, organization. But I can't even I can't even bring myself to do that anymore. When you are wanting to do a crossword and you're on the 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 what's it called? The Coastline Express? The Coast Starlight. The Coast Starlight. When you're on the Coast Starlight and you're trying to do the crossword, you are going to need an iPad data plan. <laughs> Tell me, why were yes. you Googling iPad data plan and do you have one? I do now. Um, I you used do to, now. Um, and now I do, I do now again, yeah. So um, for a while there, I was on Project Five for my work phone um, just because it was a cheap way to run a second line that I didn't use that's, that much. Uh, that's Google, right? Yep, that's the uh, Google uh, mobile carrier. Um, Hello, Google Fi, a phone plan that can. Is that what it's called? Is that their slogan? Yeah, uh, it's what they were using in their marketing for a long time, yeah. I didn't even know they had ads. Back, back before I was paying for YouTube, I would see that ah, yes. like multiple times Oh, see, that's the thing. I don't, um, yeah, that's the thing. I've had premium for so long that I haven't ever seen that one. No, so I had five for a while, and they will just, 
they don't charge you for extra sims like if you want to add a data plan to your um uh to your account they don't charge anything for that they just charge you by how much data you use which was really nice because I like I didn't use the iPad that much out and about where there wasn't Wi-Fi, and I wasn't using my work phone that much at all because it's just a work phone. Um, right. I just have it because I because I am so goddamn obsessive about separating work devices from personal devices. But I canceled that at some point because when did I cancel that? I canceled Fi when I did the big switcheroo to get the green iPhone. Mm. Uh, T-Mobile was running a a, a promo. Where it became cheaper for me to add add a line to my account in order to get the green iPhone. So my work line ended up on my Timo account, which is fine. Um, so I closed that one out. And mm-hmm. um, and this was still very much, we are still in a pandemic. I'm still not leaving the house that much. So it doesn't really ever come up very often that I need my iPad to have mobile data. However, I'm currently out of the house for two weeks and I thought, well, okay, this seems like a good time to get the iPad back on a data plan. I just put it on my T-Mobile account, but I was trying to, I Googled this because I ended up having to restart my iPad for it to work because the iPad has the thing in settings where you can just, um, I said just in air quotes because it didn't work the first time. Like, you don't need a SIM card. You don't need to do anything through the carrier website. You can just add a plan to an existing account or start a new one from the settings panel in iOS, in iPadOS. But it didn't work, and I was like, am I missing something? Is something weird with my T-Mobile account? So I was doing, I was trying to work that one out, and of course, one of Apple's suggestions is restart the iPad. Of course. So begrudgingly, I did, and then it fucking worked. Of course. So of course. What, what type of iPad user are you? What do you use your iPad for in your day-to-day where you're going, okay, now I need a data plan? Like, what does that look like? Well, right now I'm recording a podcast with it, but... <laughs> Fair. Um, you know... um day to day um like if i'm walking around somewhere and i stop for a coffee or i'm on the bus or i'm on the train going somewhere i'll just it to me it's a um it's a it's a slightly nicer device to doom scroll on than it Mm. is my uh my iphone and like you know if i'm out and about i'm using it as like i have my um i have my keyboard with me right because you're an insufferable prick. Because I'm an insufferable prick, yes. I'm using it as a laptop. If I want to write something down that is, you know, long, or I want to have a long text conversation with someone, I'll just take the iPad out and plop it on the table. It's great. It's fantastic for that. It's perfect. Sure. You know, at, at the risk of looking like some dickhead with an iPad mini and a keyboard that is slightly larger than an iPad mini. <laughs> huh. Because because that is the problem. When I when I say keyboard, I mean I have the the, the Apple um what do they call it the Magic Keyboard, yeah, um, which is a stupid name. But it's you know it's about as compact as you can make a keyboard while the keys are full still full size. And I have opinions about keyboards. Of course you do. Shockingly, I know the thing about the Magic Keyboard is that the the key travel is nice and the the feeling of the key switch feels nice even though it is ridiculously thin. Is that butterfly, buckle, or membrane? Actually, I don't... Are these... I don't think these are butterfly. I don't... Because it feel. I don't know, because it feels like the keyboard on my MacBook Pro, my work MacBook Pro, or my Air, actually. Hmm. But I don't know if they're technically butterfly switches or not. Hmm. Um, it is a... Like, a butterfly is a membrane, just with, with fancy extra bits added. Um, so sure. it's definitely a membrane of some kind. 
It's not okay. a mechanical keyboard by any stretch. Right. But it's just nice. If you've typed on a Mac on a recent MacBook Air or a recent MacBook Pro and you like how that keyboard feels, you will like the Magic Keyboard. If you've right. used the keyboard that came with any recent Mac, that's a Magic Keyboard. If you like that, you you know, that's what it is. I like it a lot. Any any sort of and this is the thing. A portable keyboard, most portable keyboards, the folding type or the or even worse, you know those ones that roll up that are all membrane? Oh god, yeah. They feel yeah, they're terrible. Even the ones the that feel squishy as fuck. Yeah, those, yeah. But like even the um even the more expensive ones, like the Logitech folding keyboard or the Microsoft folding keyboard, which are pretty good in every other aspect, the keys feel mushy. The keys feel Ugh, I don't like them. It does not make me happy, and I cannot put up with that. Hmm. Because I'm insufferable. I admit it. Because I'm insufferable. Sure. But it's this, or I buy a bag for my 60% me- mechanical keyboard with cherry blues on it. So I pick your poison. I, I don't see a problem with that, personally. That's a fun one to use in the uh, in the sleeper car at, uh, at the Amtrak. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's that's that's. I may as well just bring a fucking portable typewriter with me at that point. Just get that little bell at the end of every line. Uh huh. Every eighty columns, baby. <laughs> Good stuff. <laughs> yeah. No, so that's that. My iPad is back on a data plan. It's nice. Um, I've been using the shit out of my iPad this week. It's great. I love it. Good. 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 Tell me, tell me about. <laughs> I almost, I almost read this wrong. Dito Fest. So, DIDO Fest, that is day in, day out. It is a music festival that takes place in Seattle Center. This you know, year, a Space Needle. Yeah, this year I really wanted to go. It had a really good lineup, including uh, the first day was headlined by Mitski. Nice. Second oh, day, this, yeah. Second day had Turnstile. And then the mm-hmm. third day was the day I was really interested in. Uh, it had yeah. Jamila Woods, mm-hmm. Animal Collective, Japanese mm-hmm. Breakfast, and The National. Yep. Yeah. Oh, and great. Hooray for the Riff Raff. Which I don't know. Oh, they're very good. You would like them. I would? Okay, I'll remember that. And so, I was bemoaning to a friend that I couldn't afford day in, day out this year. And she just mm-hmm. goes, oh, uh, I have a friend who can't make it to day three. Do you want her wristband? Oh. So, kind of last minute, I got, I got an invite to go to this final day of the festival, which was super stacked. Because it sounds like overall the best day. Oh, it was by far, yeah. And so yeah. I got to see, like, Hooray for the Riff Raff was an absolute treat. They really, really knew what they were doing, and they made the most of their time. Jamila Woods was fine. Animal Collective was not for me. I thought I would like them better than I did. but I mean, I, I, like, I like Animal Collective, but I've never seen them live, and I'm not sure how they'd be live. The set felt like it was chaotic and didn't have good form. Like... It was kind of shapeless. Mm. Oh, maybe yeah, that's just because yeah. I don't really know any of their songs. But no, it just it just felt a little too see, chaotic. You for say me. you say that, but I could absolutely see that. Well, here's being the thing. Case. Um, here's the thing. I thought I would recognize mm. at least something that they played, and I didn't. I didn't recognize anything at any point. Oh, are they? Because this is the thing. I kind of feel like they might be one of those bands who resolutely refuse to play the hits. Yeah. Um, their audience was exactly the audience that you thought it would be. It was like, yeah, you told me <laughs> early third, early thirties hipsters. Uh, everybody had 
you know, some sort of independent ale in their hands. Yeah, like it, it was exactly the audience that you would have expected. So that Which, one wasn't by the for way, me. if that, if that describes you, my DMs are open. Ha. Huh. That one wasn't for me, but then uh Japanese breakfast. Holy who I love. shit. Who I love. She was fucking incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh she played the I'm hits. Jealous. She played she played all the singles from her new record. Mm-hmm. She just blew me away. A really good high energy show. I was thrilled. I thought that she did, she did perfectly. But then yeah, the highlight I, of, I would love to, Yeah. The highlight of the evening was of course the national. Mm. At one point they played a song which they called the only song of theirs that ever gets played at weddings because let's be honest, we're more of a divorce band. <laughs> There, <laughs> the um the, the Los Campesinos live album "Good Night for a Fist Fight" has a line almost identical to that, which is hilarious. <laughs> um, but no, Matt was as charming as ever. They mm-hmm. had, they had a proper like full band with them. Um, oh, great, lovely. It it was just this giant big show. Matt multiple times came out into the crowd to perform. And so, like, oh, I love when they do that. I love when that happens. Yeah, and like he was using a corded mic, so there was just this line of people who had designated themselves <laughs> as the uh, the XLR holders, who were just shoving their they way through the do crowd. For that, they usually well, it was just um, like random people cause... who were holding this XLR cable above their heads, shoving yeah. through the crowd, mm-hmm. going, "Get the fuck out of my way!" <laughs> I've got a mic, and I'm not afraid to use it. But it was it was a great set. Um. They played all of their modern hits. Mm-hmm. They played my personal favorite song from their catalog, which is uh, The System Only Dreams in Total Darkness. Oh, I love that song so much. Oh, it's, it's so, so good. good. Um, That's my favorite of theirs, too. Yeah. and Oh, did I tell you about seeing churches, by the way? Sorry, go on. But after that, we got to talk about my music stuff. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll say my only complaint with The National is I like this was the last set of the day and I was exhausted. Yeah, yeah. I still would have watched them play for another hour and a half. Oh, yeah, of course. Like, they are fucking magnetic. Mm. And I, I, I was really happy. Last time I saw them was in Wisconsin. Oh, okay, yeah. Long time that ago. Was, that was a hard show because the valley that we were in was infested mm-hmm. with mosquitoes. Oh. To the point oh, where no. you couldn't stand still for any amount of time or else you would just be destroyed. So this was a much more pleasant experience seeing them. It was less special as far as, like, in Wisconsin, they were bringing out special guests and stuff. And this was just mm-hmm. a very straightforward set. But it, it, was, it was really good. It really solidifies that this is one of, one of those bands that is beyond special. Like, they yeah. completely oh, yeah. understand what their job is and how to knock it out. And it's, it's yeah. just so much fun. Which is, yeah, which is a lot like... Um, so. Right before I left for the West Coast, like the the day before I left, the night before I left, I saw churches mm. um, out in Western Massachusetts at the Massachusetts Museum of Contemporary Art. Why did I see them there? A, because I had a couple friends from uh, out that way who were going, and B, uh, their concert in Boston had already sold out. The act that they had opening for them was really good, and I love it when like I love it when there's an opening act that's really good that's like so extremely my shit that I've never heard of. Who was that's it? always good, and I forgot. I forget of their course. name now. Of I I have it remember. written down. 
I've listened to it on I've listened to them on Spotify a bit. They're really good. Um, I'll tell you what it is after the show because then my notepad's way over there in the other room. Um, sure, sure, sure. But yeah, that <laughs> that was the night before I flew out to Seattle. But no, Church is live. Fantastic, absolutely fantastic. I don't know if it was because of the size of the venue or not because it's a pretty small venue. But like the um, uh, what's her name, the lead singer. You know, but every couple songs or so, she'd just uh, take a break, get some water, and it was just like, you know, a little bit of banter with um, whoever she could talk to in the audience or with anyone else on, in the band. It was really a fun show. It was really fantastic. Was it Kafune? Yes. Yeah, that was him. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that tour is coming through Seattle, September 30th. Oh. Oh, okay. Interesting. You should if you like churches a lot. You should you should, you should consider it. Looks like it'd be about sixty bucks after fees and everything. That's not terrible. Mm. That's not terrible. No. Um, and you know, again, good mix of um, good mix of the new stuff and the hits. Um, definitely skewed towards the new album, which is fine by me because the new album's fantastic. But yeah, I, say, you know, I don't um, think just... I've seen them in five six years. It's mm. been a while. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I'd love to see them um, do because screen violence is so good. Oh, it's so good. It's so very good. But just like this, the stage presence, the stage presence of the show is just utterly fantastic. Because okay, so here's a, a question for you. Others. Yep. The one time that I got to see them, it was an abnormal show where it was like an outdoor homecoming show at the University of Iowa, and so it wasn't really Interesting. like their normal type of venue. When they are in a proper venue, what is their stagecraft like? Because um, they feel like a band that would care. Yeah, it's good. It's good. You know, they have, you know, obviously they have the big video screen behind them because every band does that now, which is fine. Sure. Um, really good use of lighting effects. Um, multiple. She does multiple costume changes throughout the, throughout the set. It's good. It's very good. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, as much a, um, you know, you can tell that they've thought about it. Yeah. Yeah, so that was that was the um, that was the um, uh, day before I left to come out here, and then tomorrow, I am seeing LCD Sound System for the fourth time at a venue that I can see from where I am sitting right now. Oh, wonderful! Yeah, like I am looking out the window in my friend's apartment, and I can see the Fox Theater in Oakland on Telegraph Street, and I can see the marquee that says LCD Sound System. Yes, this is the fourth time I'm se- I've seen them. Um, <laughs> They're my favorite band. They're one of my favorites. They're definitely in the top, you know, top, definitely top four. Might be the number one spot. Always hard to pick between them and the Strokes. But uh, do they have yeah, an opener really on this? I'm not. Wait. I'm not seeing any information they do. about the um, Do they? I I know because like, I'm seeing Los Camps Pacinos when I get back, and I know they have an opener. I don't know if LCD has an opener or not. I didn't really look because they're here. They, they, like it's a, it's a little almost a residency. They're here all week. They're doing five oh, shows here this week. Yeah. Yeah, which is sort of a thing that they've been doing ever since they came back. They had a run in June 2018 of like 10 shows in Brooklyn. Okay. And then they've done they've done a couple other sets of um like a week or two weeks of of shows in Brooklyn. I think this is I think this is the first time they've done it somewhere outside of New York. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. I love residencies because it really gives you a chance to see the band really push themselves. Yeah. Did you, did you hear about the Sparks tour that they did? Well, not really tour. The Sparks residency that they did? I think it was in Chicago. Uh, no, I didn't. So Sparks did a residency 
uh, I think it was in Chicago, where mm-hmm. they booked out one venue for the entire month. Oh, wow. And then they performed their entire discography. <gasps> oh, oh, wow. Oh, that sounds great. Now, if, 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 if you, dear listener, do not know Sparks very well, you will not understand the Paul's gravity of now. what I'm saying. Yeah, well, okay, I was going to say, if you don't know Sparks, first of all, pause the podcast right now. We'll be here when you get back. Go listen to Kimono My House and then come back. The, the important thing to know about Sparks is that they have uh, 25 studio albums. They sure do. <laughs> they are they, um, they played prolific in the their output. entire discography. Which they talk about, which is in, why they needed, which is why they needed an entire month. <laughs> yeah, like they just did one record a night and played through the whole. Yeah, they talked about that in the documentary that they did. Uh, that Edgar Wright made oh, about them. Oh, did they? I haven't seen it yet. I haven't seen it it's yet. It's so good. But yeah, they talked about it and they talked about how like it was an impossible task, mm-hmm. and how it's one of those things that you really, really just can't do when you have this much music. <laughs> Because there is no possible way to, I mean, on a conservative side, 25 studio albums means you're performing 250 songs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. See, this is, and this is the thing, right? Because, like, Fish did a residency at Madison Square Garden of 13 shows, but they repeated some songs. They didn't, they, I believe, as far as I remember, I wasn't there, but I have the uh, recordings, you know, they weren't doing, like, they did a different set list every night. But mm-hmm. there are some songs that they did in multiple nights, so they weren't, it wasn't fully unique. This, A, is more nights, and B, it's each frankly night is terrifying. completely different. It's yeah. frankly terrifying. Yeah. But yeah, it, it's one of those things where like, they talked about in the documentary where, where they're just like, yeah, no, this, uh, we, don't, we can't recommend that anyone ever do this. <laughs> um, because it you know, practically killed us. If you happen to us. have 25 albums lying around. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> that's 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 me going off on a tangent. We're at fifty-five minutes. I'm really trying for hard to find a punchline so we can go out. Um, because I've yeah, got a pounding yeah, headache. Hmm. Mm. I've had this headache since I woke so up this I morning. Won't... I need to take ibuprofen again. We'll see. Yeah. So I won't ask you about one of these topics then. <laughs> oh, which one is that? Oh, I was a certified copy of Divorce Decree Washington. So. Because I did my name change with or the divorce. Or we can do it, okay. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because I did my name change oh, with the divorce, right, I, need, yeah, yeah. I need a copy of the decree, like the certified copy, mm-hmm. so that I can tell yep. everyone, hey, this is my name, please change my name. Mm-hmm. Uh, one copy of that form after fees is 45 bucks. Ugh. Yeah. And, like, the expectation is if you take this to Social Security Administration, they'll just keep it. Yeah, I was gonna say you're gonna need more, you're gonna need multiple copies of that. So I ordered two copies, mm-hmm. which probably won't be enough. But I ordered two copies. I was gonna say one for the DMV, one for Social Security, one for the DMV. Those are the most Maybe. important places. Maybe. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'll also need two fax copies of it to every credit card servicer that I have. And they're gonna be sitting there like, "Oh, this bitch again, really?" Right. Well, some of them I never actually did it properly with. Like, Chase, I never fully got my name switched over. Um, oh, really? City, I never got my name switched over. Like, mm-hmm. I, I'm still using a credit card right now that says Seth Reinecke on it. 
just because I, 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 I can't be bothered. I cannot be fucked. I, I genuinely just, it is oh, not worth no. finding a fax service and faxing in a document to get that name changed. Yeah, I don't blame you. However, I have. Well, now that I, now that I'm at my hopefully final name for a while, like I'm I'm not planning right. on yeah not planning on changing my name again for like five years. So oh, you're you're giving yourself that long? Yeah, yeah. I think I think Noel Midnight's a good name. I think it's got some good mm-hmm. teeth. I it's do got too. good bones. Uh, yeah. and I want to give it time to like really you know grow into itself. Before I go for something yeah. totally fucked up. <laughs> yeah, you could do something stupid, like give yourself two middle names. Well, I'm I'm just looking forward to the day when I turn fifty and I name myself something like Ballgag McGee. <laughs> because and I'm it, assuming that by the time I'm fifty, <laughs> I will have completely run out of fucks to give. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm surprised you're not there already, but yeah. Well, I'm getting there fast. Yeah, you sure are. Anyway, Ballgag <laughs> McGee was my attempt to find a good laugh to go out on, and it wasn't a very good attempt, but it's, it's what I've got. So uh, this is, this yeah, is Idle I Curiosity. Laugh, so, you know, you, you, you do <laughs> like ending the show on me laughing. I do. It's fun. Um, it's never on you laughing. It's always on me laughing. That's because that's the one that I can notice. What does that mean? Like... <laughs> It, it's it's harder for me to notice the moments where I laugh from a product from oh. a producer standpoint. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Because I'm paying. Whereas a, my laugh is a little bit more obnoxious. Yeah. Right. Well, no, 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 <laughs> no. Your laugh. You can listen. Mm-hmm. Your laugh usually comes while I am in the right mindset that I can think about it from a production standpoint, and where like I can hear your laugh and how that ends the episode. But when I'm laughing, oh, I okay, can't hear sure. that in the episode in the same way. Because you just hear yourself laughing and right. you think about how you sound when you laugh. Yeah. That Whereas when I hear yeah. your laugh, I hear content. <laughs>